1: This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and
0: Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey, broadcasting deep inside of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network. We have a great show today, What Wines to Drink with Pizza and Other Foods. We're going to talk to our own Hugh Crickmore, Wine Director of Blanca and Roberta's Pizza, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Later in the show, we'll taste a Dolcetto d'Alba on our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation. We bring wine to the people. All right, pizza. Pizza has to be one of the most popular foods of all time. Everyone loves and eats pizza, except, of course, me, because I've been gluten-free for the last two years. (laughs) My loss... But that's another story for another day. The pizza bar definitely has been raised in New York City and around the country. Nowadays, you got a lot of different kinds of pizzas to choose from. You got clam pies, white pizza, spicy pies, salad pizzas, and all kinds of meats thrown on top. And all of those have crazy kinds of names hard to keep track of. Wine actually is a great complement to pizza. And each pizza begs a different wine. Whether you're bringing a pizza home, whether you're going to a restaurant, you're heading to a party, we'll tell you what wines to drink with those pizzas. And I think our guest today can help us with that. Our in-studio guest is Hugh Crickmore, wine director of Blanca and Roberta's Pizza. Hugh is literally a rock star in all aspects of the word, in wine, in music, in art, and food. I want Hugh to tell you a little about himself. Hugh, welcome to the Grape Nation. Now, Uh I want you to tell my listeners a little about you, because I feel you have a very interesting, colorful background. But the show is less than an hour, so we don't have to start with working on a farm in northern Maine. But you're a New Yorker, and I want everyone to get a taste of all of that. So fill us in.
1: Um, well, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born here, 109th Street on the uh, Upper West Side. I did grow up in Westchester. went to school um, in New York, in New York City. i um, been working in restaurants since I was 15 years old. Um, Why
2: at 15? I mean, was there an influence? Was there a family thing? uh, That was just
1: something that you did when you were in high school. It was just a way of earning extra money. There was a a restaurant that was on the waterfront uh, that a lot of my friends worked at. And it was actually a really positive experience.
2: Did you start as a busboy? I started
1: as a dishwasher. Dishwasher. Yeah. All
2: right. Keep going. So you
1: got into the business young at 15. Um... And I never really saw it as something that was going to become a career, um, and it has been a career on and off, and uh, um, something that's been very good to me in a lot of ways. Um, but my real interest in wine and food was really when I went to uh, Paris in the late 1990s and uh, was living with a girlfriend. Had no. Why money. did you go to Paris?
2: Really, I was chasing a, a girl. Okay. So she got you over there. <laughs> Absolutely. Props to her, because that worked out in a way. Yeah,
1: and I ended up staying on after she after she left. And uh, my brother was there. I went to uh, Prague, and I, I ran a small French restaurant. It was just serendipitous. I was sitting with a bunch of friends in a cafe, and I needed a job. And someone told me that they were looking for a cook in a, a small restaurant. The owner was French. He was from Paris. I had just come back, and I really went and talked the talks that I was from New York, that I had restaurant experience, a cooking experience. And,
2: uh... How deep was your cooking experience uh, at that point? It
1: was not deep at (laughs) all. But I think that I talked the talk well enough that he was convinced enough to give me a chance, and we ended up to be really good friends. And uh, so you literally worked trial by fire. Absolutely, yeah. It was a simple menu; it wasn't right. anything difficult. It was pastas and sandwiches, and um, but it was really fun. And I met some really wonderful people, and I did meet uh, a, a friend uh, named Nigel, who was a flying winemaker, who uh, had was in uh, uh, Prague basically to help with uh, a couple of wineries uh, modernize and clean up their act in some ways. And uh, I had read every wine book that I had in in Paris that was left over in this apartment. It was all I Why had Why did do. that
2: happen? Just being in Paris?
1: You, yeah, you and felt it was like we didn't have very much money. Wine. Paris is a fun place to be with little money, but uh, it's actually a place... Uh, if you're in New York and don't have any money, you drink beer. If you're in Paris and have no money, you're drinking wine. So you educated yourself. Exactly. And uh, it was still just a, a neophyte. And, uh, um, but, but this person, Nigel, was really wonderful. And uh, there was one shop in town. Now Prague has turned into this wine capital in a lot of ways of Europe, but um, or in terms of natural wine and a new movement. But... Uh, There was one little French store that imported uh, French wine, Italian wine, and um, products from around Europe. And uh, we would buy things there and buy bottles of wine, and we would make dinner at uh, his house and friend's house. And it's uh, a really friendly city to be in. How long Uh, were you there? um, About nine months. So then what happens? uh, Came back to New York. And that as ex- an experienced as cook, a, exactly, and exactly, uh, uh, I I started working in restaurants again. Um, uh, actually, met some people who were doing music and got into bands and um, took classes again. I actually took some classes uh, in 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 wine. Got a, my uh, sommelier uh, uh, certificate. Um, took some classes at the uh, International Wine Institute, um, and uh, got a job as a manager of a very small French restaurant and uh, took over my first wine list And I think, it was 1999 or 2000. It was.
2: The restaurant was in Was in New York City. New York? Yeah. It was, still around?
1: It's still around. Um, it's on the Upper West Side, too, by uh, Columbia. It was called Le Monde. And... Uh, it was fun because I think I took the wine list to a place that they weren't expecting. I, and at the time, there wasn't a lot of wine directors in restaurants that were relatively simple. And um, So that's an interesting juncture because you go to a place
2: uptown, not a sophisticated wine place. Do you take risks? Are you kind of winging it because you know a little but not everything? Are you trying things? Yeah. I mean, did you have the, the vision? Had, or The a little owners of
1: everything? were were warm and very, very supportive. I still know them to this day. Um, in some ways, they were mentors in the industry. Um, uh, Simon Oren and uh, Isaac Kesterberg, uh, they still own lots of restaurants, and they have a certain style uh, of French restaurant that they've been doing for a long time, which is really just meant to be sort of a uh, a simple bistro and it's something that they like and they have a lot of experience. Executed well? Um, It's at the time, yes. Okay. And now New York City has become such a vast mecca of good restaurants that even the simplest of restaurants has, has uh, become much, much more sophisticated and that's wine list included. I mean, there's still a long way to go but to compare that time to this time doesn't right. doesn't make sense. But yes, they allowed me to do what I wanted. But I was still very inexperienced. And When you're in your early 20s, uh, you're uh, you think you know it all. So right. I was putting together things that I thought was was working. And I actually met a person who was working for Kermit Lynch and. Um, who's still in the industry to this day. And If you were just stuck with Kermit Lynch's list, it wouldn't it be wouldn't bad. Be, it wouldn't be bad, right. but he really uh, turned me around, and I, I met um, a person, um, Marcel Lapierre.
2: Kermit from- Lynch is a terrific wine importer that, you know, finds great wineries and brings them to the States, just so our listeners know.
1: Yeah, and um, I met um, Peter Hoffman from... Uh, Savoy at the time, and I was really impressed with his... He had a very small list, and it was primarily wines that were... There was no natural wine movement at the time, but there were, were wines that could fall into that category now, sort of ahead of its time. Did he that fall f-
2: under... Like the first curated list you saw, like there was thought to. I had the been content? to nice
1: restaurants and had been to Le Bernardin and been to where there was these extensive wine lists that were very uh, daunting. But it was these smaller lists that I I had seen at, say, Blue Hill, Savoy, um, Flair de Sel. I'm tr- remembering the restaurants at that time that really influenced me, and some people who weren't bigwigs in the, the industry yet, but that were uh, really interesting, and they were young, and they were fun, and they were alternative, and they really did uh, have an effect on me. And it, I went from liking a certain style of, of heavy, extracted wine to instantly looking at these delicate, feminine beautiful, fresh wines that were, in a sense, I guess the first natural wines that we were having in New York and one of them was uh, Marcel Lapierre's Morgon from Beaujolais which blew my mind at the time.
2: Well, we'll talk about uh, natural wines a little later on, but get us to current. So where did things move along
1: to? Um, There was a One of the owners of this restaurant I was working at was opening up uh, another, uh, a little bit more ambitious uh, restaurant for his time. It's still open. It's called uh, Marseille, down in the theater district. And he had uh, sought after uh, a a young chef who was, uh, in a sense, the CDC of Blue Hill. And Blue Hill was What's a CDC? uh, A chef de cuisine. Chef de cuisine. Um, obviously, Blue Hill was Dan Barber right. Um, Alex Arena was his name. He was very talented and 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 written about, but he hadn't really made any claim to fame yet other than being a young person who was working at uh, one of the best restaurants in New York City <laughs> and Blue Hill was, if people remember was at that time was. Uh, that and 71 Clinton were the most important restaurants, small restaurants. Were they credited with
2: the first real farm-to-table, natural ingredients? Yeah, it
1: was. It was. I remember being at Blue Hill back then, and at. Seven thirty at night on some weekday and watching uh, a farmer walk through the middle of the dining room with muddy, <laughs> muddy boots carrying plastic uh, uh, crates of vegetables and people knowing uh, or uh, the staff knowing the, uh, the person's name I actually remember who it was but uh I just thought it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen yeah. and
2: uh, now it's commonplace now it's commonplace the Union Square and, green market and you know, it's uh, like a Mecca there's, for
1: chefs. there's so many ways you don't have a, a farmer having to make his deliveries all day long and just right. ending up at, at, at the, the last place on the list but um when i'd heard about alex being at this this restaurant i instantly said look i want to do the the wine program for it i want to do something um ambitious i think that we could do a, a really beautiful Provençal uh list that focused on island uh including uh Uh, Corsica and uh, Sicily, Sardinia and uh, coastal wines that maybe had been uh, really been focused on before in a a list in New York City and something that was still small, that was still under 200 uh, uh, selections and they again were very supportive and said absolutely and um, when we did the wine list, uh, the uh, wine spectator uh did a little interview with me um talked mostly what about year was this this was in 2002 okay um Almost 15 years ago yeah and uh, but uh they were uh it, it kind of led to what my interests were going to be it defined things for you yeah and then i worked for them uh, they sent me to europe uh on an ex- I would say at the time it was an extensive trip. it's very hard to take off three to four weeks sure when you are running a, a program and uh, they sent me to France I visited visited a ton of properties traveled um, I brought I actually brought a friend with me um, and uh, it was during one of uh, our nights of drinking tons of wine in some place in Avignon I can't remember the name of it they had just had a great wine list and it was the first time that I'd ever really had uh, the time to go to lots of restaurants and drink lots of older wine and really explore and be on my own and uh it was defining where I didn't have an agenda. I just was having fun and learn lot. and learning. Nice. And it was there that I uh, came up with the first idea for doing my first restaurant, which was uh, Moss Farmhouse. And uh, my friend said, "Why don't you Why don't you do a restaurant when you get back?" And I, I said, "I don't have the money. There'll never be that amount of money." He said, "Well, why don't we just come up with a couple ideas and we actually spend." a few nights just writing it out in a notebook and coming up with the name, coming up with some, uh, just basic ideas. And when I got back, I just started to put a lot of energy into it and it took its own momentum. So Moss opened up what year? In 2004, April. Right. So
2: that 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago. And, um, and you were there
1: how long? I was there until 2008 and, uh, Pretty good run, right? Very critically acclaimed. It was the chef, terrific. Interesting wine program. Yes. And uh, I did the wine program. I helped uh, put together the team and the, the chef and the design. And uh, it was very naive. And at the time, I think that uh, the, the time was, was kind to us of doing something so naive because we didn't have anyone in the team that had done it before. Lucky break. Yeah, it was was terrific.
2: All right, so in the next few minutes, get me up to current time. So Moss was a great experience because I think it was considered, you know, one of the the new great restaurants when it came out. What happened after that?
1: Um, Well, I I was bought out, and it gave me the money to take time off, and uh, well over a year, and I did some um, sort of high-end catering for – some architects, some designers, uh, um, and uh, I did some cooking on my own, and I brought some people in that I had worked with in the past and um, curated some wine lists um, and uh, consulted uh, with some people. But I was also very interested in music, and I used... Uh,
2: You're a musician?
1: A, uh, yes. I, I play guitar, play bass, and sing. Front any bands? I fronted two bands. Um, that's why I called you a rock
2: star, because <laughs> legitimately you're a rock star, you know, right?
1: Well, that's that's a little kind. Today um, you're
2: just Hugh the Wine Guy, Roberto. Exactly. But you know we could reminisce a little.
1: So I, I use that time. So to in kind that, of that in that period in of time, sky
2: searching. you did the music thing. Yeah. That and comes I, to an end, and what happens? Um.
1: Well, it didn't come to an Not end. To I kept, an doing, end, yeah, yeah. I I I, I you was moved doing on. it. I I my girlfriend and I at the time, we, 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 we traveled, we, uh, did the music, we recorded, we went and, uh, lived on my brother's farm, helped him get started on a a organic farm in upstate, uh, New York. And, uh, I had been friendly with Andrew Tarlow and that whole group. And, uh, you got into the Brooklyn restaurants, and uh, it was—it was in some ways it was kind of uh, a respite, kind of coming out of fine dining to go to Brooklyn, and uh, uh, it wasn't undercover or incognito. It was just—it was really fun, and it was again I've been very lucky to work with some of the best people and really warm, generous people, and uh, I was uh, eventually the bar manager of uh, uh, Marlow and Sons and Diner. And I did that for a number of years, one because it was incredibly fun and uh, uh, it, I've met some of my closest friends um, in that environment um, and also because I was still in a sense pursuing doing art and music and as you you get older and these things slip away from you the uh, the reality of life and making a living and um, security do do come back and uh I left working for uh, 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 Tarlow, um, I can't even recall what year it is, but just about a year before opening the my last restaurant, which uh, didn't do as well as Moss, uh, but uh, uh, Low Life and... Uh,
2: on the Lower East Side. On the
1: Lower East Side. Um, I'm still very, very proud of it, but the, the industry has changed a lot since 2004, and uh, uh, naive doesn't fly as well in, uh, uh, the economy we live in right now. Um, Of course.
2: So low life comes and goes. You're resilient. Uh, you're here now. Where were you between low
1: life and here? Um, just taking some time off seeing family. Okay. And, um, uh, my friend, a good, really close friend of mine works at Blanca and she had mentioned it to Carlo and he wrote me an email. And I came in and listened to what they had to say and what they Carlo were looking for. Carlo is the
2: chef of Roberta's and Blanco.
1: Uh, very highly
2: regarded chef. And so you got here, what, about
1: three months ago? A little less than three months, about two and a half months ago. And uh, they were, again, open to my own ideas and uh, I was. Give you the open.
2: leeway to exactly. take a look at the program. Uh, All right, so we're going to get into that. but... I need you, because I promised in the intro, to drop a little knowledge and help my (laughs) listeners with what they should drink with pizza, okay? Roberta's is very pizza-centric, you know, considered one of the best pizza places in New York, Brooklyn, the whole country. So I think people realize pizza and wine is a good combination, but sometimes they don't know what to drink with it. So I'm gonna throw you a bunch of types of pizzas, and then we'll try to tie it all together, and hopefully you can help me with this. So the classic pizza is sort of a margarita mm-hmm. pizza. What's what's probably more people eat margaritas than anything.
1: What's a good wine to go with that? Um, well, I like sparkling wine with pizza. Uh, it might not sound. Uh, the- the, the typical, um, pairing, but are we talking Lambrusco? I'm talking Lambrusco. I'm talking, uh, a, sp- a sparkling pet net. I'm sp- talking champagne, I'm talking. Pet net is from where? A uh, petulant natural. It's a, a type of, uh, a sp- uh, uh simply fermented sparkling light, natural, uh, wine got it um and why do
2: sparkling wines work with a classic margarita pizza
1: because uh, they have good acidity um they're not overwhelming on the palate they have enough structure and uh um kind of bite to get through uh, something like a, a margarita pizza but not overwhelm it and uh, and the pizza not overwhelm it but it's uh i find it to be uh something that's refreshing and at the same time a palate cleanser as much as it is complementary to um, eating what is essentially bread, cheese, and tomato. Tomatoes and with some acidity. And, uh, would you
2: say that the toppings on pizza will obviously dictate what wines? Of course. So the next pizza would be a pizza with meat on it, pepperoni or sausage. What would you do with that?
1: Well, I think with once you get into stronger flavors, things that are are cured meats or um, prepared meats in any way, depending on the strength of of them or the fat content, you're moving into. Again, I look for things that have uh, acidity. Um, but what like you, well, like- I was going to say. Uh, something Grenache-based, senseau based something like... Uh, Rhone
2: varietals. Rhone
1: varietals. Very are really
2: heavy, deep wines from uh, France.
1: Yeah, and but, but ones that are that, that do have a sense of, of, uh, of acidity and minerality. Um, but when you're looking at the toppings, you're looking at normally what would you eat with sausage.
2: Right, right. so that's one thing. A, a thing that you're seeing a lot now are clam pies, I love them. So, what would you pair with a clam pie, which is basically white shellfish? Is there cheese on a clam pie? Uh, there can be. Probably sprinkled, not mozzarella, really. Um, so, what would you pair with that?
1: I, I would choose the same things you would pair with uh, sautéed or steamed uh, clams and butter, and that would be a white that had some uh, depth, some. Uh, a wine that does go well with 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 seafood, um, an Albarino would be from uh, Spain. From Spain, from okay. Galicia, um, would be a wonderful complement. Um, uh, a rosé from Provence uh, uh, would also be uh, perfectly good choice. Adept. Um, what about
2: a spicy pie, like Roberta's Beast Thing, which has side and it has honey. And I realize it has the cheese and the meat, but it's a little spicier. Same thing, or does that warrant a different?
1: You can go in two different directions. I say uh, a, a Chenin Blanc is always really nice with something like that. One, because it's it's going to be cool and clean, and has will have honey-like flavors, um, and will be complementary in terms of like a, 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 maybe a hint of sweetness, but of uh, of of. Fatness to it and weight, um, so that it could hold up to that kind of really strong flavors, um, and I, I think that would be a really fun. So, Blanc, Chardonnay Blanc uh, from v- France. Uh, yeah, from the Loire. Yeah, uh, a, a Loire. Vouvray, uh, even a sparkling Vouvray. Uh, nice. Yeah.
2: What about when you start adding salad
1: ingredients, like an arugula with prosciutto? Um, I think again two suggestions one would be uh if it was from Italy maybe something from the Veneto like uh, uh Garganega um like a suave um um has some bracing acidity some really so with minerality more yeah. um and then um sauvignon blanc from the Loire valley is also a nice complement with uh uh with uh, if you have greens and there's even a hint of uh, uh, vinegar and oil on it
2: okay now two more what about your regular pizzeria pizza or slice now I, I realize we said margarita but these are a little oilier and floppier and cheesier and I think most people probably eat more of those what would you pair with that
1: Honestly, it, I mean, if I was going to be honest, I'd say a beer is definitely nothing wrong with that. Is
2: is so beer and uh, just the regular pizzeria pizza. Yeah, I all think right. Beer so is now I'm company. getting up out of my seat and I'm twisting your arm, and you have to give me one wine. What is
1: it? <laughs> uh, I would say a light, a light red, uh, like a, a dolcetto, a. a, 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 a we're going a to Beaujolais. Taste,
2: we're going to taste the Dolce. Excellent. Though. So we'll um, see how that goes. Uh, a,
1: a red with that that uh, that still had uh, uh, wasn't too extracted. That was you could serve a little bit cool. Um, that was still refreshing.
2: What about? Here's the last one. Anchovies hmm. and or garlic. A lot of anchovies anchovy pizzas have garlic some people just get garlic pizza those are very sharp ingredients
1: um well i probably go back to my first which was uh, uh sparkling because it really just has the bracing uh, quality that could cut through things that were oily and very very strong strong um but then again it would be uh, a more powerful uh white wine i think would be re- Like? Um, Even something from White Burgundy, uh, 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 a Chablis. Chablis. uh, Nice. So I'm
2: a huge proponent of sparkling wines, champagne. I think they're underrated. I don't think people think to pair food. So it's nice to hear you recommend it, and it's nice to hear you recommend it with pizza, whether it's a sparkler, um, champagne, and some of the others. All right, so... I'm going to grade you on that. I'm going to give you an A+. Plus. I think you got that right. So thank you, and I hope you know people realize that when they're eating one of these pizzas, that there's a lot of different choices, and the choices vary by pizza. All right, so I want you to talk to me about the uh, wine program at Roberta's. Um, I know it's a predominantly French, Italian, U.S., and then there's a big mixture of world wines. You've come in to take over the wine program. Um, tell me a little about that.
1: Well, I think most people would be surprised at how extensive the wine list is. Um, one, because when you're coming into a pizzeria, um, and also one that is as irreverent as as uh, this Bushwick industry place is, It's, uh, I think it's it can be a little daunting, but it's also a little refreshing. Um, I am looking at, uh, uh, the list from the perspective of making it, um, accessible and fun, but without losing its uh, scope. Uh, there's definitely a, a European, uh, focus, uh, Italian and French, as you said. And because there's such an international crowd that have, uh, been coming in here recently over the past years is uh it's they they do want to have uh uh, domestic wines right and
2: uh price point is that a consideration price point is always a consideration the the dinner tab isn't necessarily huge and there's more things on the menu at Roberta's than just pizza there's porchetta and some other inventive dishes
1: yeah the back kitchen is is something that people should not forget about. I think that's so much effort and so much uh thought uh, and care that goes into what's uh, what's coming out of the back kitchen um, that really helps justify the 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 breadth of the right. of uh, the wine list so you're in the process of
2: redesigning and taking all that into consideration
1: yeah and and it's a it can be a frenetic space and it can be dark and it can be loud. And uh, I think that uh, a, a wine list needs to be easily... Nav- uh, <laughs> you should be able, able to easily navigate through it um, in a busy environment. And for me, it's just simplifying the layout and uh, so that anyone from an expert to uh, somebody who doesn't know anything can easily flip the pages and, and, and read it without having to delve too, too deeply in it because it's not a, a, a quiet, clinking glass right. type of place. Um, we have to take a break, but
2: I want to come back, finish up the wine list. You know, I want to ask you, when people look at it, they shouldn't be intimidated. How can you help them? I want to talk to you quickly about natural wines, then hit you with my wine list. And then while I have you here, we're going to taste our weekly wine sip, which is a Dolcetto d'Alba that Hugh had mentioned. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network.
0: Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Teeth People. And this track is called French Entrance. at your
1: home, all is me. I take a
2: All right, we're back with our guest. Hugh Crickmore, wine director of Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn and Blanca Restaurant, which is a tasting menu. Um, I wanted to finish up with Hugh about uh, his tenure here at Roberta's. I wanted to ask you what I always ask people in the wine business. When the average guy walks into wine business in the restaurant, walks into a restaurant, doesn't know that much about wine... And Roberta's kind of goes both ways. It's unassuming, but it's, you know, pretty funky and could be intimidating. Then you get handed the wine list. It's an extensive wine list. What's your best advice to sort of the neophyte, the average guy that, you know, is willing to spend a few bucks on a bottle of wine but has no clue? How do you calm him down and get the right bottle in his hand?
1: Well... I feel that most people can be intimidated, a by the wine list and b by the the reality of actually, yeah, talking to the person. And they should not. That we are there to help them, and um, I don't have an agenda. I really enjoy talking to people. It's it's the highlight of my evening when I get to make a connection with the table. Um, if there isn't a wine person in the place, I think the the best is to look at what the strength of the wine list is, what 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 uh, regions are really focusing on, and in some ways there's uh, is one asking the staff what their favorite things are on the menu, um, and sometimes it's worth just taking
2: a risk. So don't be afraid to be a little inquisitive. Um but also eyeball the thing and take a shot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, go within your price range, like you said. If you go into an Italian restaurant and it's very Italian-centric, that's their wheelhouse, obviously. You're going to go with an Italian wine. Pick something. So don't overthink it.
1: You you shouldn't. It's about having
2: fun. All right. That's fair enough. All right, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you about uh, natural wines, I know it's an interest of yours, and I know uh, you're somewhat of an evangelist of natural wines. I think we'll probably see some of them on the new list, and you'll lean towards that. Tell us, that, that's a title, what is a natural wine?
1: Well, a, a natural wine can be elusive in, in some uh, ways because there is no official uh, definition or designation. Um, uh, meaning from any agricultural or government standpoint, um, but natural wine, uh, I think, can be agreed is that it is a wine that, at its very least, is organic and biodynamic, um, and that uh, is bottled at with the least amount of intervention possible. And that means that there's no additives. That the yeasts that have been uh, are used are only uh, existent in the, the, the vineyard. That no indigenous? commercial indigenous yeast, no commercial yeast. Uh, 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 it's not filtered or fined. Um, uh, all the farming is should be done by hand, um, and bottled. Some people will say should uh, should can't contain. Little to no sulfur whatsoever. And, um, uh, sulfur is a, a type of preservative that comes in many forms, that exists in many forms. In, uh, it's a the preservative? Wine industry. It's a preservative. That's right. Basically, it's existed for a very long time. So natural wines have minimal or no sulfur? Minimal or no sulfur. Okay. Um, I would say that's, at its basic definition, um, what it is. Um, and it sounds like something simple, but it's a very difficult uh, process to make something that is, is well-made from... It's also better for the land.
2: Absolutely. There's less intervention, like you said. Now, obviously, there's a lot of quality natural winemakers pretty much in every region around the world. Absolutely. Is there anybody that's really leading the way or,
1: you know, waving the flag? Um, well, the zeitgeist keeps um, moving. Um, it, in in a lot of ways, it began in France and Beaujolais and quickly to the Loire Valley. Um, Those that, places were first and more extensive, you're saying? Yes, um, but the... The reasons for uh, some of these are really the rules and guidelines that are are governing uh, how wine is made and labeled. Um, When you have a region where there's a lot of strict guidelines on how a wine is labeled and made, and the government is involved in it, um, you're going to have less movement towards, say, uh, uh, rebelling against that, especially if you can... Right. Garner a really high price So there's been regions that have been Outside uh, outside The uh, left to center In a sense like uh, the Auvergne which is in c- Central France which is Probably the highest concentration of uh, Natural winemakers in France And organic farms um, But it's quickly Moved to uh, Sicily uh, The Sierra Nevadas And in, in, uh the United States uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest, and I would say one exciting um, region is uh, uh, or country is the Czech Republic has really really uh, taken off. Um, so can you can you differentiate
2: a natu- a well made natural wine and a well made regular wine? I mean it, it's unfiltered, probably unfined, so visibly. Taste? Is there any characteristic taste wise?
1: Um, Yes. I find that natural wines that are well made, um, uh, and obviously there's different levels, just like uh, you can have a very simple Pinot Noir and you can have this very, very expensive uh, Grand Cru Burgundy. Um, The same thing exists in natural wine, but I think that a very well made uh, natural wine. Shows its place that it's uh, fresh, alive, it's delicious. It should taste good. Wine shouldn't so taste bad. It sounds great. And yeah. So, if you have
2: a good wine store, they probably will carry some natural wines.
1: Absolutely. The
2: best thing is to talk to your wine guy and say, listen, I'm interested in trying some natural wines. You could say France, Italy, U.S., whatever. And there's enough selection for somebody to look at.
1: Oh, in New York, there are so many great yeah, wine I mean, shops is, now. Yeah, there
2: are a few natural-only wine stores, but leave that to New York. All right, so keep, keep in mind that the natural movement has been in wine for a while. And as Hugh said, they're making some great wines, and there's a distinction um, with those wines. All right, Hugh, we have a thing every week called the Wine List. It's a bunch of questions. I'm going to shoot them at you. I want you to answer them quickly because I think people are interested in what guys like you who are experts are drinking. All right, so what wine are you drinking now? What's, what's interesting you? What, 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 what's on the table?
1: Um, Nebbiolo.
2: Okay, Italian cheap expensive both all, oh, okay everything from just uh, basic nebbiolo to barolo so nebbiolo is a grape from the piedmont region the
1: piedmont region barolos uh, barbarescos or are... exactly okay. it's something that has been outside of my realm of expertise because i've really focused on france and um so you're starting to consume more and of the... it's it's uh, to really understand uh, a different region, I really will delve into it, and it will just be something that I will give a lot of attention to. All right. Favorite wine and
2: food pairing. We talked about pizza and wine, not a bad pairing, but, you know, if you could be at your place and happy and have the right dish and wine in front of you, what's your pairing? Uh, it would be champagne and uh, roast chicken. Good one. You're the first roast chicken guy. Um, Favorite wine restaurant or wine bar in New York? Who, who's doing it right,
1: impressive, the right people? Um, um, well, if it's Brooklyn, I would have to say, without a hesitation, it's the Four Horsemen. I love it. I we're going to have
2: uh, Justin Guerin on, the wine guy <laughs> <love> there, <laughs> in a few weeks. You know, that's an interesting thing, but we'll get to that. Um, so the Four Horsemen is a wine-centric, chef-driven uh, wine bar. It's owned by one of the owners is James Murphy from LCD Sound System. So that's an interesting place. Um, favorite all-time wine? Hmm.
1: That would be... That's hard. That's like naming your favorite band of all time. Um, okay, Hendrix, go ahead. <laughs> uh... uh I wouldn't want to sound... It. it doesn't... Give me one of your... One of mine. Yeah. Comte de Vague, Bon Mar, which is a, a Burgundy.
2: Yeah. Okay. Hoity-toity, I like that. Um, can you recall favorite wine label? Is
1: there a label you've seen that you said, whoa, that's cool? Um, I'm really partial to the wine labels from uh, La Clarine Farm, which is in spell it. Uh, La, it's L A, like right. La and right. Clarine, C L A, R I, N E, and it's uh, from a relatively. Where? It's uh, from the Sierra Foothills in California, and the wine label is designed by Jad Fair, who was uh, one of uh, the lead people in. Uh, uh, kind of a punk, post-punk band called Half Japanese. Um, And And the the wines are fantastic. The wines are
2: fantastic. Great. All right, last question. Best wine for under 15 bucks, red and white, retail. Buddy calls you up and says, you know, I'm going over to dinner. I don't have a lot of money. I want to give him an oh-wow wine. What am I grabbing?
1: Um, I think you're always... uh, you're always going to be in a good spot with Cote de Rhone's are, are always well-priced. Under $12, you can easily find an organically made, uh, very pretty, uh, and... That's your red, right? I would say that's, that's your red I and that's possibly a, your, your white as well, but... Um, great suggestion. How um, about a white? Hmm. In white, I would be looking at... Um, Northern Italy, um, especially the Veneto, um, and uh, um, is that Orvieto? I could do Orvieto. You can do uh, uh, Suave. Suave. Um, and those are value-priced. they really can be really well-priced. Also, whites from the Loire Valley, um, usually not named after the the the. Uh, uh, Village or region they're from They might be named after the variety But there's so many terrific producers um, People like uh, um For, for instance uh, That have wines that are just going to be about $12 and it'll just
2: be great So there are some good choices yeah. Great Alright, Hugh, our last segment Is, and I want you to stay here And taste with me um, It's called our weekly wine sip Every week we taste a different wine on air. We tell people last week what we're going to be drinking this week, so maybe they can go out, buy it, taste with us. Wishful thinking, but what the hell. Um, for this week's weekly wine sip, we're going to ask Hugh Crickmore, wine director of Blanc and Roberta's, to stay with us and taste the 2014 Viette Dolcetto de Alba. Viette is V-I-E-T-T-I. Uh, Trey um let me tell you a little about the wine and then Hugh and I'll dip into it. And Hugh you could jump in any point. The Viette Dolcetta d'Alba Tre Vigne is a hundred percent dolcetto d'alba grape, which is not the nebbiolo that you find in Barolo. So it's a it's a little different. It's from the Piedmont section of Italy, which I just said is famous for Barolos and Barbarescos. Vietti is a longstanding family winery with a good reputation, making superior wines. And they were one of the early exporters of Piedmont wines to the U.S. They were also one of the first wineries to do single vineyard designations. The wine we're going to be drinking, once again, the 2014 Viette Dolcetto de Alba Tre Vina, retails for about 15 to 20 bucks. It's widely available, and that makes it a good value. So we have it right here. Excuse me for reaching. Hugh and I, I'm going to pour it. I'm going to pour a glass for Pierre, our engineer, and we are going to talk about this wine on the air. Here you go, Hugh. I'll drop it. Thank you. Sorry for moving away from the mic. Pierre, your glass is sitting here waiting for you, and I will pour my glass. All right, so let's let's talk about this wine by sight first.
1: Deep, dark, red, purple? I would say it's a... Sort of a, a purple garnet.
2: Okay. Um, what do we get on the nose? It's a little herbal. Some dark, dark fruit. But is the
1: herbal a good thing or is it a,
2: not a young, you know, herbaceous wine?
1: No, it just comes okay. from the the skins. It's okay. I think it's very pleasant. Do you get some dark fruits? I do. I get some. It's like bright berry. I get a lot of...
2: It's very fresh. Little raspberry, blueberry, some blackberry. All right, let's give it a swirl. Let's throw it over the tongue.
1: Medium body? Yeah, light to medium body. Light to medium. A little bit of tannin, just a little bit of grip to it. Which is good for food, right? A little acidity. Good for food again um, And uh, some nice length and minerality to it um, The fruit is It's not a, a big fruity wine um, It's a little feminine What um,
2: Good balance I think it's lovely actually So for 15 to 20 bucks Good wine Terrific Okay good maker right You agree Vietti's Vietti is a good guy And let's talk about food again what would you put this next to comfortably?
1: This you can definitely do with uh, a simple uh, uh, pizza, maybe with some meats like uh, prosciutto or speck, um, some mushroom I think would be terrific, Uh, a basic margarita would be just great. So a good pizza Um, wine. And also uh, some of uh, uh, the... Heavier uh, pasta dishes would be great. Pasta tomato with based. tomato and some meat thrown uh, in there. Pici pomodoro. Um, uh, it might even be great with the archiette. Uh I think this is. Uh, it's nice. I wouldn't do this with anything really, really heavy dishes, but no, in those like first you said, courses, pizza, yeah. some
2: pastas, some meats, and all that. All right. So that's the Viete... Dolcetto Alba Tre Vigna, 2014. Look for it at your wine store. And finally, I just want to remind you to check your local and favorite wine stores for weekly wine tastings. Many stores feature regional and thematic tastings with multiple wines. You may have an opportunity to meet a winemaker or the distributors and learn more about those wines. And... Most of these tastings are free. So what do you have to lose? If you have an event happening or any questions, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. We'll get back to you with any info. We'll talk about your events. Thank you to our guest, Hugh Crickmore, wine director of Blanc and Roberta's Pizza. He's here right in Bushwick, Brooklyn, getting things going here. Thank you to everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. And thanks again to our engineer, Pierre. See you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network.